Welcome to the Should Have Backed It podcast. It was carnage for punters on Super Saturday, with unfancied runners Zutori and Holmesman taking out the feature Newmarket Handicap and Australia Cup. It didn't get any better in Sydney when the well-fancied Kiwi Raider, Aegon, failed to fire in the Randwick Guineas, a race that was won by the John O'Shea-trained Lions Raw. Picking himself off the canvas to talk through all the action is Australia's number one tipster and form analyst, Chris Venuccio. How'd you pull up after a big Super Saturday, Big V? Oh, hello, Phil. Hope you're going well. Tough day for punters. I was lucky I, I managed to get a small win on Saturday, so that was good. But, yeah, I reckon a lot of people out there would have been eating some $2 noodles for dinner that night. Two-minute noodles. You'd be used to that, though, Big V. You could relate to uh, having a few bad days where you've had to eat the baked beans and the two-minute noodles for dinner. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think when you have a good win, you feel like splurging a little bit. But then when you you have a bad loss, you just pick yourself up and you just get some, you know, a bit of comfort food, <laughs> maybe, some, maybe some canned soup. Oh, mate, no. You, you, when you win, you're straight down to Ligon Street. I know that. I like to get a steak or something just to celebrate the victory. But, yeah, it certainly wasn't a steak or Ligon Street day yesterday for punters because we saw a lot of... Uh, particularly in the features, a lot of unfancied runners, or I guess runners that we didn't expect would win on the big day. And I guess we had big fields, which uh, gave some good prices if you were able to find a winner or two. Yeah, I think it just showed at the same time the frustration and the fascination with racing because I looked at the form and it just looked like uh, this was going to be an easy day. Could, you know, could have tipped the card. You know, a lot of favourites should be winning. But we see so many form reversals from one race to the next. It's just unbelievable. I mean, you look at, you mentioned Aegon. I mean, had a big turnaround from that result with the winner, I think, Lionsgate. I mean, Lionsgate was beaten three lengths the start before by Aegon, and this time around turns the turns the form around. It's, and it just happened again, even last week, going back to the Caulfield Guineas, with the winner, Luna Fox, being 13 lengths off the start before in the CS Hayes and then wins the Australian Guineas. It's just incredible. And I think that's what makes the sport just so interesting but also can be frustrating at the same time if you're not picking the winners. I'll tell you what, Big V, if the $2 pot won every race, it'd be boring, wouldn't it? You know, it yeah, wouldn't, it wouldn't be, be much fun. But I find... I know you've got your, your run sheet there and I might be diverting a little bit, but, you know, I, I find myself having more success picking those $4 winners like Mabusha at Flemington. He was the reason, or she was the reason why I managed to finish in front because I got a good price, $4.60. But I just the other, the other reason I wanted to bring her up is I thought she had, you know, great form going into the race, but she's paid, she's drifted to four sixty on the books. But then on the tote, she was crunched into three eighty. And I think it just shows that, you know, sometimes, oh, I think most of the time, Backing horses on the fixed odds is more profitable than tote betting. Yeah, I think I saw that with a couple other uh, runners throughout the day. Odium springs to mind, even though uh, didn't win the race, was about two thirty, two fifty on the tote. But you could get three eighty four dollars just before the jump. Fixed betting as well. But Big V doesn't surprise me. You've opened up with Marbusha. That was your one of your best bets of the day there on the Twitter handle, and uh, I think you were pretty happy seeing it storm through and win. Uh, quite comfortably in the end there in race five at Flemington. But I might just throw you back on track, mate, and get you to talk about the new market handicap. Obviously, big field, September run, highly fancied. 
Uh, did get a decent price towards the jump. I think 270, 280. Just didn't ever look comfortable in running to me. I think Craig Williams in that awkward barrier eight with some of the field splitting to the inside just didn't exposed her a little early in my mind. But again, I don't know if that made any difference in the end. I just think she wasn't on her game yesterday. I mean, she's she's been beaten by Swats that she had she's had the measure of Swats that the last couple of times. And I think Prague she gave Prague a bit of a cold in the. Coolmore last year, and, and she's beaten. She's been beaten by them this time around. So I don't think she was on her game on Saturday. She's pulled up with a slow recovery, according to the stewards' report. So it was just, you know, maybe just a, a forget run from her. Well, yeah, I, I thought September run. You know, it was one of the better bets on the card. Uh, it turned out that that race was the only race that I actually backed the winner in the whole day, Big V. I managed to, as I sort of forecast on our show last week, to get on Zutori at some pretty good odds in the end. I think I got $19. Uh, those more savvy punters might have even been able to get a little bit more than that. But, gee, that saved my day. It didn't just save the race. It saved my day, Big V, because uh, it was pretty brutal, aside from Zutori's big win. But how does a horse like Zutori get out to $20, do you think? I, I, I thought its first up run, as we discussed last week, was really good one down the straight before, beating some really good horses, but you're getting 20 to 1. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Maybe because he was top weight, but we've spoken about it many times. I think sometimes weight can be overrated, and when we see a horse top weight, we just rule them out straight away. So that could be one reason. Um, it was just the the way the race was run, there was two divisions in the at, to begin with, and you had the, the four horses went to the inside rail, and it looked like that they were about a length or two lengths in front of the rest of the field. And then when they joined together at about the 500 mark, those horses like Zutori and Indian Pacific were about two lengths in front of the rest of the field. And they didn't go... It wasn't a really fast race. So they've, this is a pretty slow new market in the end, but they've just managed to get a good head start on the rest of the field and they couldn't get caught. A few unlucky runners, Brooklyn Hustle and Flit as well, but those four horses that were on the inside, three of them have run the first, the trifecta, Zutori, Indian Pacific and Amish Boy. I think it just made it tough for the rest of the field to get ground on them. September run at the 400 I thought was going to just bolt in. She looked like she was just ready to explode. I know Craig Williams maybe took off a little bit earlier on her, but the gap was there, and I just think she, if she was good enough, she should have won, and just the things just weren't right with her. Yeah, I think he did expose her a little bit earlier than he would have liked, but I, I think he also probably saw that those inside horses were coming back to join in with the field, and he probably didn't want her to get squashed out and miss her run, so he had to expose her in, in such a big field. I do wonder also whether, if he had his time again, whether he would have gone to the inside and, and sat off the back of someone like Zutori in the run. But I guess there's a lot of machinations and how it would work out, and you can all be hindsight heroes, I suppose, in the end, but didn't get the job done. Uh, another horse that didn't get the job done, Big V, was another very heavily supported favourite, 50 stars in the Australian Cup. Look, in running, you probably wouldn't have been too comfortable, I would have thought, if you backed 50 stars, sort of drifted back to uh, third last a rail and just the pace wasn't on for swoopers in that particular race. He was a bit unlucky. He's looking at the stewards' report. He began awkwardly, made contact with the fibrillate and was unbalanced. So, yeah, I think it just 
things didn't go right for him. So his performance wasn't too bad. I, I had something small on shared ambition, and I thought I was really disappointed. I just sometimes these horses, they doesn't matter where they draw, they're going to be back in the field and drawing inside. You know, I just had this fear that he was going to be back near last from the inside gate. But I was hoping that maybe they might use the barrier. And I thought there was an opportunity for him to maybe find a spot behind Parity in the run and be a bit closer. Again, they didn't go really too hard here. There was a, a mid-race move, but I just think it was a good ride on Hosman. He was three wide for a bit of the trip, but I'd rather horses be three wide within striking distance and then back in the field and got no hope of winning. So a bit disappointed with shared ambition, but I think 50 stars is a forgive. Yeah, I think 50 stars and maybe even shared ambition fits into this. You know, they want a bit of galloping room. And, you know, with these big fields, often we say, oh, these Flemington horses, you know, the, the track becomes smaller when you've got 17, 18 in a field and it just becomes hard to find that galloping room. And Holmesman, yeah, a great win by it. You, if you shopped around, you could get 24, $24 or so for that. And given that it, you know, ran right up to parody and shared ambition in, the, in its previous run at Caulfield, probably overs considered those two horses started almost single figures. Yeah. And I thought there's a couple of good runs as well. I think Parody ran well. She was on the speed. She's had a long prep, so she's she's kept on going. Defibrillate going up to wait for age. Yeah, you know, he, he was good too. I think Miami Bound might be one to follow out of the race. I mean, she's she's run at $151 and she's finished under within two lengths of the winner on a good Ford track. So if she gets a, a wet track up in Sydney. She could be one just to keep an eye on. And San Roberto, still Prince, they were good too. It was a bunch finished, a lot of good runs. I was I was a bit annoyed that Platoon accepted for the race. I made it a horse to follow last week and it jumped from 14 to 2,000 and it's been well beaten. So I think it was disappointing to see him in the race. Uh, apart from that, not much more. I mean, non-conformist, that was one horse I could have left out of the quaddy, but... I just put him in because I just thought you just never know. He's probably going to come out and and win. But uh, I probably agree with what you said last time. A bit of a maybe a bit overrated. Yeah, non-conforms. I'm happy to watch it go around. It'll win its one or two starts a prep or every so often. But you just got to take that on the chin when that happens. What was hard for a lot of punters to take on the chin though was Aegon's flat run there in the Randwick Guineas. Uh, Probably looked like it had a reasonable uh, spot in running. It was sort of three wide, but did have some um, cover there. Uh, Mwunga was probably the unlucky runner of the race, finishing a fast finishing second, but uh, I guess all honours to Lion draw. Yeah, and, and, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, I think it was beaten about three lengths by Aegon and a couple of you know, big turnaround in form. But uh, I think there's a, a few disappointing runs. I mean, Peltzer, North Pacific... You know, they, particularly North Pacific, who looked like had been improving with each run. I mean, finished second last. Yeah, he, he hasn't come up this prep. A little prime star on a good track. Maybe maybe he's not up to 1,600. And, yeah, not much more you can say. I just Maybe Mwanga might be the one you follow out of the race because he, he did run into C.S. Hayes and look good. They skipped the Australian Guineas to go to the Randwick Guineas. So maybe Mwanga, if they continue on to a Rose Hill Guineas, he might be one to follow from the 
on this race. Look, mate, I, I think yesterday, I, I, you know, there's not too many. We'll, we'll discuss it later. Not too many horses that I'll be following out of that meeting, so to speak, out of their runs from that meeting. It was just a tough day, both both uh, Melbourne and Sydney. But I'd actually had on my sheet here to, to ask you about North Pacific. Obviously, uh, late last year, at the end of our spring sort of podcast series, you mentioned that's a horse you were really keen to look at moving forward into the autumn and perhaps into the spring as well for this year. And it just hasn't come up, has it, uh, from that pretty strong spring campaign? No, and I think they maybe missed an opportunity to run in the Caulfield Guineas last year. I mean, the horse was up and going. I mean, they probably thought, you know, Ollie Kirk, Ollie Kirk would be the one to win, but I didn't think North Pacific had trialled any good leading up to its first up run, but again, we've mentioned many times before, trial four means nothing when it comes to race day, but he was he was so-so first up, but then I, I thought I'll watch him again second up. He improved a little bit. Probably not enough for me to get involved with him, and he's come and run second last again. So, yeah, I think at the moment I'll just put him as a sack horse for the time being until we see him find some kind of form. But he might get rushed off the stud now. But I'm not too sure. I don't think he's got much on his on his CV yet to go to stud. Yeah, I think he has to do a little bit more to get to stud. But you know, as you said last week, he's uh, taking less and less. Staying in Sydney, the Canterbury Stakes was obviously a, a big uh, group one up there and we saw one of our podcast favourites, Savitiano, take the win there over 1,300, uh, holding out uh, a couple of pretty strong uh, competitors there. Uh, now, Big V, I can't believe I've missed this one. You, you've, you've boldly told us last year, Savitiano over 1,300, best horse in the country, get on it every time. And so I'm having it as my should-have-backed-it horse this week because I didn't get on it. I stayed on Bivouac, thought it was a bit, would have this sprinter overcome Savitiano, but I was proven wrong again. So surely you back Savitiano. Uh, no, I think I'm jumping on with you. i kicking myself I didn't take on Bivouac. I mean, Bivouac's going 1,000 to 13. He wasn't that convincing in the lightning stakes, but I think what puts me off Savitiano is every time I get on her, she throws in a really poor one. <laughs> And I thought maybe a good four track maybe might be against her as well, even though 1,300, she's near unbeatable. On on softish tracks, she's pretty good, but I seem to get involved, jump on her when she gets onto a good track and when she should be winning, and she lets me down. So I just thought, I'll just watch this race, and she just hung on there. I mean, I thought, I thought Missy was going to catch her, but, you know, she just held on and... I think it deserved Group 1. Yeah, absolutely. I actually hadn't realised it hadn't won a Group 1. I just assumed it had. It obviously won a number of Group 2 races and other Group races as well. But, yeah, it was a it was a good win. And I, mentioned, I saw that James Cummings mentioned after the race there that this is really what they'd set this horse for, getting it its Group yeah. 1, 1,300 metres, perfect distance. They had bivouac in the race as well, obviously, uh, the, the Cummings team there. But... I think, yeah, just never looked settled in the run, looked really keen in the mid-stages of the run. I think Glenn Boss had to basically pull it up at about the 600s and to make sure it didn't go flying past the field. So, yeah, I don't think uh, anything wrong with Bivouac's run and I'll be uh, keen to see where it goes next. But a horse that, I guess, ran really well and that's been a bit maligned, I think, is Masked Crusader. And I think that's one we can follow out of the race. Yeah, just a bit slow out of the barriers, and he's finished off really strongly. I mean, this was a big step up from his first up run. 
So he's shown that he's he's up to this grade. And I have a I'm interested in his career because I did have a share, a, a small share in his dam. You did, yes. And so yes, yeah, so I've been um, pretty. I've been so I've been following his career. I want to. I want to get him. I want to jump on him one day because he's either like yesterday, a big price in a race. Maybe he's not ready to win yet, or he's in a easier benchmark race where he's a dollar eighty favourite. He didn't have the best of preps in the spring, and I think there was excuses behind that because he had a first up run on a heavy ten track that might have took it out of him, and then he's gone from eleven hundred to fourteen hundred which I don't like seeing. So I think he's had a, a much better program this time round. But yeah, I'm keen to see him go through the grades. Whether he's ready to win a race like the TJ Smith, maybe not. Mm. But, you know, hope, maybe he might go to Brisbane, maybe not. But maybe in the spring we might see a really good sprinter to follow. Yeah, I think we've got a bit of a versatility with Mars Crusader as well, not just where he can run, he's hit and running, but also distances as well. So I think they've got a good horse there and they can be flexible where they where they place Mars Crusader. Uh, I'd like to see him, sorry to interrupt, I'd like to see him maybe put himself more in the race. I think yesterday he was just a bit slow out of the barriers, but we do see him a lot coming from back in the field. I mean, I don't want to see him be like another Chautauqua-type runner where you, you're holding your breath and hoping he gets there. I mean, there's only one Chautauqua that can, that can keep running and winning from near last. So I'd like to see him eventually jump out well, you don't have to go on speed, but maybe put yourself midfield and give yourself a better chance of winning. Yeah, look, and, and in much weaker benchmark racing, um, he has done that successfully. So I think he has the ability to be more forward in running. Uh, a horse that's always forward in running, uh, and much much like Mars Crusader at the end of its last prep, can can go around at a short price, is Nature Strip. And, uh, gee, when it, cut, when it sort of jumped clear at about the 300 yesterday... I thought, how far Nature Strip? But just, uh, geez, Eduardo got it. I still don't know how. Oh, I think Eduardo maybe had a more softer run than Nature Strip. I mean, Nature Strip, uh, I mean, there's a lot of horses that jumped well, and Nature Strip, took, it took a while for James McDonald to, to get somewhere near the lead because you had, I think, Jungle Edge come out and jump well. Uh, what was the other horse? I think um, The Odyssey was the other one. And they finished last and second last. And they didn't make it easy for Nature Strip to come across. And I thought it was a, a big effort by him. I wouldn't be jumping off Nature Strip. But maybe because he's got rolled at $1.95, $2, maybe in the in the TJ we might get a decent price. So I wouldn't be jumping off him. I think Eduardo you know, had a rail run, maybe just had the, the softer run of the two. Well, good you... performance. You can't knock it. It was a, In the end, I think they've run a track record. Yeah, I was about to say Big V, um, it took a track record from Eduardo to beat Nature Strip. I guess, going back to our conversations last year around the Everest, when Eduardo's in the race, or another horse that likes to be on speeds in the race, that really starts to raise some red flags, I think, with Nature Strip. It likes its soft lead, and when it gets a soft lead, it, it really does extend and burst away from fields, but we've seen a couple times now when we've got leaders like Eduardo. Um, admittedly, Eduardo didn't uh, hold on so well in that Everest race where I think it ended up finishing last. But, yeah, it just puts too much pressure on the horse early on in the running. So just something for punters to watch on there, I think, with Nature Strip. I think we'll see a different Eduardo in the, in the TJ. By the time the Everest came around, Eduardo had had a couple of runs that prep 
And with the new trainer, Joe Pride, they came out, had some pretty good wins to start the prep. And then maybe by the time he got to the Everest, he was just over the top. He's just first up now, probably goes to the TJ second up. So we'll see a different level of performance by Eduardo. But whether he can do that over 12, I think the good thing with Joe Pride is he doesn't mind taking on the big guns. And it's good to see. It makes for great racing. He did it with Rain Affair back in you know, the Black Caviar days. And we're seeing it now with Eduardo. You know, he's not prepared to take on Nature Strip and, and put that horse out of his comfort zone. Mm. Well, we might move back to Flemington. And the reason we're going to do that is that we have our your should-have-backed horse and my should-have-sacked horse in the same race uh, yesterday, Big V. So race three at Flemington there, the March Stakes. And uh, Sosie Bon, once again, disproving all the, uh, the knockers. And winning just on the line, uh, holding out Holbein. My should have sacked it horse in the race was Odeon, who drifted from two dollars, I think, Saturday morning, out to almost four dollars, as I mentioned earlier at the jump. So that was a bit of a warning sign, I think, for punters with that particular horse. But yeah, your should have backed it was Sosie Bon. Yeah, I think it was maybe a tenuous should have backed it because I was looking for the rest of the fields, and because yeah, there's a lot of outsiders winning, it's hard to pinpoint. Oh, I should have been on that one, but yeah. when I was doing the form for this race, I was I did pick up Sosie Bon as uh, second to Odium, and I think that's although I I managed to get a few winners, I tipped a few winners on Saturday. That's sort of been my, bit my um, my pattern in the past couple of weeks. The horses that I'm picking for second are the ones that are ended up winning, and I just I went with Odium because it's. I think the Thousand Guineas winner, I think, ran well last spring. And Sosie Bond can be untrustworthy, but he was only three and a half lengths behind Probabil in the Futurity. So that's the reason why I put him for second. I should have been a bit bolder and just said, no, nah, I'll just put him on top. That's the premium form race at the moment. Yeah, as I think we kind of mentioned before, it actually has some great group one form and you know it ran well in the all-star mile one year it's you know won 1.6 million dollars in prize money to a, a decent horse Ozzy Bond and I think sometimes we look back at earlier in its career when it was perceived to be a bit of a non-winner but it was running in you know really high quality races at the time so it yeah it's now strung a few together Ozzy Bond in terms of its uh, last 12 months so 770 in hindsight oh, in a pretty small field was a bit of a steal I would have thought with Odium in this type of field, maybe they could have led with her or gone a bit quicker. I think maybe that might have been her undoing on Saturday as well. I know Holbein was the, could have been a natural leader, but I mean Holbein is a Group 3 benchmark type horse. I would have liked to have seen Odium be a bit more positive and, and maybe take on the race and lead and led. Yeah, look, I won't be jumping off Odium. I don't think that's its grand final, but uh, still disappointing to see a, a horse that was $2 at one point at least uh, not quite run up to its expected standard, I suppose, on the day. But Big V, I want to move forward. We've got the All-Star Mile coming up next Saturday. Gee, it just seems like yesterday the All-Star Mile was on last year, actually, now that I think about it. But I, I suppose we've had a, an interesting 12 months you know, we've still got Arcadia and Queen and Probabil right at the top of the market. I've got them here at 3.30 and 3.50 respectively. And then there's a big drop, drop off. Uh, we've got Mugatu at $10, Russian Camelot first up at $10 as well. Mate, I'm interested and the, the listeners will be very keen to hear what your top four for the All-Star Mile is this year. 
Well, yeah, you put me uh, a bit uh, in the spotlight here. That's the, all right, mate. Uh, but if I try to find four, I, I was hoping you might just ask me to pick one winner. No, mate, we, we, we want to hear your top four. We, that's what the listeners are here for, mate. Well, I'm, I'm going to go... I can't split the the two mares, Probabil and Arcadia Queen. I think they run one-two. Dead heat? Well, not dead heat. I've got Probabil <laughs> on top. I'm gonna, I am, am going to back Probabil. I, I want the media and everyone else to just talk up Arcadia Queen that you know, she'll improve and beat Probabil this time round. I think Jay, there's no way Jamie Richards would ensure that there wasn't any more improvement left in Probabil. I think Probabil's a machine. I think she's going to improve again from her last start win. So I've got Probabil on top, Acadia Queen. I'm going to go, and then it's a toss-up between Mugatu and Russian Camelot. Just sticking I with the top four, Big V. I thought you'd throw me in a, in a, you know, a, a Street of Avalon or a, a Luna Behemoth Fox or something, Behemoth mate. Behemoth is there in the top four. I haven't picked Behemoth. What about Stars of the Seas, mate? Yeah, I think, yes, yeah, Stars of the Seas, but I think, oh, I think Probabil's got her measure. I'm just going to have a look and see. I think Star of the Seas finished behind Probabil in the Epsom last year. I'm going to have a check that out. Well, while you're checking that out, I'll just confirm what you've said there, Big B. So you've got Probabil as your number one pick, closely followed by Arcadia Queen, number two, and then Mugatu and Russian Camelot, three and four. So... You know, put them all, box them up together, and you'll probably get a good dividend, I'd say, mate. Maybe, maybe switch Russian Camelot, Mugatu around. Russian Camelot for third and Mugatu for fourth. All right. Well, well, we'll see how that goes, Big V, and we'll be looking forward to... I'll, I'll uh, make sure you can confirm that on our Twitter handle uh, yeah. leading up to the race next week. And uh, Star of the Seas yeah, did finish three lengths behind Probabil in the Epsom. I think I was on Star, Star of the Seas that day in the Epsom, and... I think I made Probabil my should have backed it for that day. I just think um, Probabil will just beat him again. I'm glad to see you've learnt your lesson with Probabil. I think you've had it as you should have backed it about five times on this podcast, yeah, Big V, so it's time, about time. Yeah. This, might, this might be the first time I finally get on, on her. <laughs> Can't win now. And let's hope, oh, yeah, I know. Let's just hope she just keeps winning. <laughs> I, do. I, hope, I hope I don't put the mocker on her this time. Yeah, look, I'm a big fan of the horse and obviously back it. Uh, most starts, but yeah, I just think I've got a feeling Arcadia Queen's going to get the job done next Saturday, but it should be a great race regardless, and as we discussed last week, a really high quality race this year well, in the All-Star Mile. Don't jump off your horse, she did that with Sevatiano. <laughs> don't make the same mistake for the All-Star Mile. Oh look, we'll see Big V, we'll see I might even have a little dabble on both I think if Probabil gets out, because at the moment the bookies aren't they're letting the punters decide who's going to be favourite. They're, they're sitting on the fence here. So I think if Probabil gets out the $4 and the punt, the early punters are zeroing in on Acadia Queen, I think Probabil at $4 plus is just really enticing. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, Big V. And maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it'll be around the price we get starts to help dictate who we back there on Saturday. Uh, now, I mentioned earlier that horses to follow... Gee, I think it was a tough meeting to get any good read on horses to follow moving forward. But one I did find in race seven there in the Matron Stakes was uh, Scarlet Dream, who who ran a nice third first up. And if you watch that race again, and I'm not suggesting you've watched it in much detail, Big V, at about the 250 to about the 150, just couldn't get out, couldn't get a run. And once it did get some air, really stormed home. So I'm happy to 
follow it moving into its next start. But aside from that, Big V, I don't have too many I've got on my follow list. I'm hoping well, you can help us out. I'm glad you brought out that Scarlet Dream race because that was... Uh, we see stewards reprimand jockeys for going too fast. And the, the other Sovereign Award, Damien Lane, was just... He stole that race. He was running 11.50 splits. And he's eight lengths in front of the rest of the field. What were they doing? The stewards have reprimanded every other jockey from that race and just say, you know, you're in a horse race here. What are you doing going for a, a Sunday stroll? So, yeah, that was very... Uh, that was a disappointing race to watch. There was just no initiative from any other jockey other than Damien Lane. So moving on to some horses to follow, I think Anna Visto, once she gets... Once she gets it all together, she'll start winning. I thought, prob- I thought uh, personal when she steps up to two thousand at the four hundred. I thought, geez, how far is she going to win by? But I just don't think she's got that acceleration at sixteen. So two thousand meters for her, and then even for the two-year-olds in Sydney, I'm not going to jump off Profiteer. I've had a look at the replay, and you know my first. My initial reaction was Profiteer will struggle to run out the 1,200 in a high-pressure golden slipper. But you've got to remember, this Tobman race can be a bit of a graveyard for favourites. We've seen Capitalist, Sepoy get beaten as thirty favourites in this race and go on to win the slipper. Uh, Esther Jab a couple of years ago, just fell in at thirty. This is the preliminary final race, not mm-hmm. the grand final. So I reckon... I'm going to stick with Profiteer, and because he got beat, I think we're going to get a good price for him for the slipper. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, setting it for the, the golden slipper, never was going to beat the grand final. Animo, hard fit, coming off a couple of big runs. Yeah. Uh, and you can see Hugh Bowman really trying to restrain the horse, because he, I think he understands, you know, you don't want to run a big peak run the week, the, you know, the start before the grand final, and you can really see him just trying to hold him up, and then... Yeah, you know, then let him go later on, and I think that would have taken a bit of energy out of the horse in the Golden Slipper. He's just going to let him roll. Hmm. Well, Big V, I think that's just about all we have time for today on the podcast. Obviously, still a big weekend of racing with the long weekend in some various parts of Australia, and we've got the uh, up in Canberra there, the Black Opal and Canberra Cup meetings. We've also got the Adelaide Cup on Monday. Charlie Rose currently a, uh, a short price favourite there, and, and looks a pretty good thing in that race based on its last few performances. Uh, but, yeah, that's all we've got time for today, Big V's. Uh, how'd, the, uh, how'd the baptism go, mate? Did you manage to catch all the races or was it all on replays? No, it was all on replays on Saturday. Caught a, caught a few of the main races on when I got home at night. I didn't get home until after midnight because... Oh, wild baptism. I left, I left, I left the car on while we were at the baptism at the reception <laughs> and I had to had to call for the roadside assistance to Oh big V. So I was uh, had to drive around. Uh, I was we got there and I just I was listening to a few races on the radio and I think that's what got me because I turned the car engine off but I just it's one of those cars where you got the button and you can just turn on just to listen to the radio. So I was just <laughs> listening to a bit of the racing and I just I think I put the radio on mute rather than turn off the car, and that's what's got me in the end. I would have liked to see how you explained that to the uh, your lovely fiancé there, because uh, she couldn't have been too happy with that performance, Big V, listening to the races, and it causes a massive delay. 
Yeah, yeah, particularly late at night when you want to get home and <laughs> get some sleep. <laughs> All right, well, it sounds like you had an eventful day, mate, and a few of us had an eventful day, I think, yesterday with the races and a few other things going on, but it's good to catch up, mate. Thanks for your insights, and... Uh, We'll catch you and we'll do it all again next week on the Should Have Backed It podcast. Uh, listeners, as always, at Should Have Backed It, our Twitter handle. Plenty of tips and uh, comments being thrown around there, so please do get in touch. And uh, in the meantime, as always, good luck on the punt.